So I'm delighted to welcome to the show today, Julie. She's the founder of Wise Minds, which supports early stage female founders. Um, and before that, she ran Specsavers across Northern Europe. So lots, lots of stories to tell. Lots of stories to tell, James, and a massive thank you for having me today. Uh, I look forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. So, so we're going to jump into my coaching time machine and we're going to go back into the past. When are, when are we going back to? Well, I, I have to go straight into the Great Recession of 2008 and nine for those juicy stories, for sure. Um, I'm going to go back there. And I think we were uh, four or five years into growing the brand in the Netherlands. And I think it was that moment which obviously not only was there a recession, but we were with a new brand in a new country. And of course it had this incredible success in the UK. And the expectation I think was very similar in the Netherlands. And there I was three to four years into it, hands in the air, sat in my garden at 3 a.m. as if I was sort of pulling into the universe, what more can I do? Um, and everything was right on paper, but it was really chugging. And you found yourself in a situation where you were growing, but actually the business wasn't following. And deep down, like as we know, a recession is an opportunity, especially for an incredible you know, value brand like Specsavers. So you couldn't even blame the recession. So there was definitely blocks in there. And there was just that point of frustration where there's nothing more you can throw at it in yourself. You, you can't put your finger on it. The people there, they're amazing. You feel that you are working every hour that is sent to you, and you actually are. And, and, and everything is there. But yet, it's just not moving. So, okay, so, so you're... You've got a great brand of Specsavers. It's it's becoming a dominant force in the UK. You've been tasked with leading the the growth out in the Netherlands. It's your first external market. You're 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 three to four years in, and kind of these high expectations, which are, and, and you feel like you're throwing everything. You are throwing everything at it. Like you you couldn't be working more hours. You couldn't be a team. It's just not happening. Is that right? That's exactly it. And you know, the pressure on yourself, on people, on the thought of this is where it was supposed to begin its incredible journey out of this incredible market leadership position of the UK. And there you were sitting there holding something where you couldn't help but blame yourself and wondering what to do. And that's at the point, I think, where... I answered or asked, sorry, different questions. And I think, you know, that journey of learning and, and I shared it with the team about this sort of moment of 3 a.m. And, and one of them, uh, and we're still friends to get today, uh, said to me, do you still love what you do and do what you love? And I thought, look, when I've got the burden on my shoulders that I have, is this a moment for you know, or do you respect hugging a tree? You know, I, I, thank mm. you. But uh, but really what he was saying was the most important question that I answered over those following months, which is, it's not about doing what I love and love what I do. 
but it's have I let go and is it time to make myself redundant from that position and that's why I say it's easier than it it, it really come you know seems it's easier to get yourself in that position because you are working you are very blinkered you are so determined and you're you're running all the time trying to create this incredible success uh, and you you are somehow ignoring some of the key signs and that actually if you see growth in a series of waves which is what it is especially in early stage startup it was doing the company was doing exactly what it should have been doing it's just that rather than making myself redundant on each wave and getting on the next I literally was holding on to every single wave you could possibly think of and 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 and, and actually losing the golden thread completely uh, but it was really the greatest learning of my life uh, working life of course and just so, so the listeners can come with you on this journey so there was this kind of professional pressure in terms of why can't I achieve what I want to achieve but you say you're holding on tight this this, this was also like a family business as well so there was a there's a lot of emotional attachment as well. Without a doubt. I mean, not only was it the first territory, it was a family business, although joint venture owned, so it's actually owned by the partners of the store, which I had um, 70 stores opened with people that had put their homes up into it. So every spec those stores run as owned by the partner itself. So not only was the family pressure, but also the pressure from, I've got you to commit to this incredible concept. How do I make it incredible for you? How do we do that for you? And so there was, you know, in terms of partnership, um, there's incredible power and strength to it in terms of the customer's perspective, of course. But the responsibility that I had towards not only family, but to myself, to the team, was to the 90 sets of partners that I said, this is, you know, going to change your life as well as your customers, as well as your families. That's a big responsibility to have. So you want to make everything happen as well as you can and to live it. I mean, you know, I'd grown up with the concept. I knew the concept, you know, Uh, and in fact, that in itself can be considered a big challenge because by knowing it so well, how do I become it? And was there space for others? So it sounds like this, this concept, like you knew this concept really well. There was a game plan that had worked. Like under pressure, you, you reverted to instinctive responses of working harder, going faster, self-sacrifice, throwing yourself into it. And almost it became less and less easy to create space just to even think, to see, to feel. Absolutely. I mean, it's like you were there, James. It's exactly what it was. Um, and I think the more you get into it, the more that you get into measuring the moment, measuring the sales, measuring the performance, and really holding tight to those that are around you. They become your family very quickly. And in a mm. way, you become an island because... Anybody who's not in the island, every, anybody who's not working that hard or driving that moment, they will never understand how hard we are working. 
But of mm. course they do. But you, you say, no, they don't. So you become more of an isolated island, and but your needs are, are very strong. Your learnings of what it's like to be in a new territory, uh, you're trying to survive by yourself. And, you know, that, that drive to try and keep your team motivated as well as the partners is literally taking 90% of your life. That's very key. And then you start to lose the space between you, company, and everything. And ultimately, have you become the purpose? Have you as a person become the purpose of the organization? So it sounds like then it's kind of sense of more and more pressure, more and more speed, but also the sense of ident- that your identity merging with the company. And it's kind of creating this sort of isolated bubble, which which you lived in. And it took your colleague's question, which is, do you still love what you do? To, to, to have this kind of moment of epiphany, it sounds like. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think it's a very, very important question to ask all of the time. I didn't know that at the time. Because you kid yourself, you're still loving it. But what are you loving? It's success, the hope of success, the dream, uh, the, the, the sort of trophy that someone's going to give you one day. I, I, I don't know, but you, you do, <laughs> you love something and you kid yourself. But it's only when somebody really asks the pinnacle question, are you still doing what you love and not what you do? And it doesn't mean for the moment, because we all know that entrepreneurial life is like a roller coaster. So if we gave up our companies every time we had a bad day or we just felt, I really don't like my company anymore, you know, we wouldn't get past day six. But it's that continual flow, that reflective question. And the answer was, in fact, no. Uh, do I still love the company? Do I still love the people? Yes. And, and more. We're still friends to this day. You know, of course that was all getting mixed up because we were one sort of big sort of bramble bush of everything. So of course I love them, which we mistook for the fact I love the journey, but we were very loyal to each other. And that can be very mistaken for, you know, the love of what you do. The fact is that when I started to reflect on that question, I had to ask obviously why, what I did love, what I didn't, where I was, and it was, the fact that I did actually have to make myself redundant. And it's exactly what I did. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm no angel. I didn't go, oh, very good question. Thank you for asking. I'll get on to it at all. Uh, I think we've probably established that would never have happened. Um, there's, there was this beautiful sort of six months that we spent um, where I really did establish where do I want to be? Where is best at this time for me? And how do we structure, how do we bring everybody in up with that so that we all could grow with it? And that was the year we became in a market leadership position. And we didn't realize it was happening, but we just, when we went back, we were like, oh my goodness, that's great. And we closed our stores for a couple of days each, each one of them, re looked at the purpose. How was it created? What was it for? Et cetera, et cetera. And re-educated everybody on the purpose and the difference we wanted to make and all of these record sales weeks that was all out the window uh, our united force was on one purpose and that was the likelihood of somebody to return in two years time no record sales no nothing 
and you know we had this beautiful team everybody rose the people in the stores the partners and you know i remember having a party that year which is quite unusual when you're sort of in a chugging recession position um uh, it, it was questioned a little uh <laughs> it was about coming together eight a thousand people and I, I remember looking over the balcony and i said to hanny who was the the learning and development person who actually was the person who asked me the question with Peter. Um, I said, look, everyone just, it feels right. You know, it's like the stars are all aligned. And she turned around, she said, because we put them there. And she was absolutely, it was absolutely right. And how you have to make yourself redundant and which sounds so harsh, but when you look at it, you know, as a founder, you have to keep moving. And my, my parents were very good at it. And, it, and I, I, you know, I look back on it now in hindsight and I go, I wonder what you did. And I just go, you were brilliant at it, you know, it's mm. just, but, but that's a lesson learned and a lesson learned because I undid it. I suppose it was very strong, like mental image of like founders moving fast, but taking up a lot of oxygen. Like just, just we founders burn quite bright. And I think with that comes using a lot of oxygen. I think sounds like almost staying in place and working harder and harder, almost like spinning your wheels slightly, but just really taking up the oxygen that are allowing other people to thrive. But as you then started moving forward, clarified your personal vision, helped the company clarify theirs, really focus on your strengths, you kind of just opened up this space and just released oxygen for everyone else to breathe while you moved on to the next phase. How, how, how does that feel? I think it's a really good, you know, analogy. And um, and I think that's what it is. I think you're, you're sharing the oxygen. And, you know, when you're first starting up a company, as we all know, it's, it's pretty ugly and no one likes it. So as a founder, you're going around begging people to join, you know, ugly baby and all this stuff. And it requires a lot of oxygen because you're shouting loud, you're shouting clear, you're driving. And I think once you could reposition that voice, you're right. It's, it, it, it gives people that chance to breathe and very, very strong people that chance to be the best they could be. Because I think a founder's fear is of letting go that they'll lose it. But it's not about delegating. People always used to say to me, delegate, Julie, delegate. And go, it's not about delegating. It's about having a shared purpose that you trust those people that can be the best that they can be towards that shared purpose. And once you get that trust, it's not about delegating. It's about giving people the space to do the roles. That's very, very different. What was, was there a moment in this where you went, yes, this is, I have made this change. Was it on the balcony looking at down at this event that you were like, we've done it. I've done I, it. I've, I've, I've stepped back. I really, really think it really was that moment. And that's why I always quote it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I still won the fancy dress competition at the party. But other than that, <laughs> I take it a step. I'm kidding. But it, it was that whole beautiful moment where everyone's at the party, everybody's free. So the fact that people took the time after the store shut, and if you've ever worked a good nine, ten hour shift in a store on your feet, it'll be, that's tiring. You know, it doesn't matter how used to you are, to actually make that effort to come as a team, to choose their outfits, to to be there till 1am, to be together, 
you can't ask more than that. A thousand people taking that time when they could have been with their families to come and celebrate that moment. And I think that was alignment for me. That was that was alignment. And and then you start to get space to make it matter. So these are two quite powerful moments in terms of one, three M in the garden, like oh head head in, submerged in the business, identities become one, can't work hard like couldn't be working any harder. And then there's moments of six months later where you're sort of on this balcony. Other than this realisation, what personal support did you have on that journey? Because it sounds like this this was a lot of by your journey taking like taking yourself out of the business. I have had a coach in my life for as long as I can remember. I think that's a very important part for a founder. I, I actually, when people say, I go, oh, you haven't got a coach? Uh, I, I actually think, oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, of a certain level, I think Specsavers provides that as well. So I just think that you have to have that external check. You have to have that ability to be able to go, this is the problem, do you see, how can I see this differently? Is it different? You have to have that second pair of eyes, especially in a fast-moving place. And one of the the challenges is that when you go into survival mode, which, quite frankly, most founders are, you know, you are in survival mode in those early stages. The stakeholders that sit around you, you forget how important they are. And you know what I try and, as I'm sure you guys do as well, is make a list of all the stakeholders that you have. And I think that's something I did afterwards is what's the stakeholder, what's the role that they're playing and how can they support you? Because your survival has to come from many different levels. And when you're in survival mode, you literally are anyone you can't touch, feel or be, you know, how, why are you important? One, for giving you funds, of course, investor, uh, but also family, friends and knowing where it's at. You have to renegotiate that position. And I couldn't because I was in it. But once I was free, I could say, this is how it is. This is what's expecting. This is what we're going to do. Just how does that look? Whereas before, every time I went, oh, how's it going? Why are you asking? You know, I wasn't obviously that bad, but, <laughs> but that's that reaction. And actually, when you have that space, you, you start opening up to the people that can support you. I think that's a really, a really nice thought. Like there's actually more support available to founders from our existing networks than we realise we're just maybe not in the right headspace to accept it. Absolutely, absolutely. And you have to have space. In order to have space, you have to stop protecting. And once you let go and then create that space, you're you're accessing people that have always been there. But uh, I do it on a quarterly basis now and everything. Just how am I in life? Where am I stuck? Go off, go on, go off, go off. It's a much healthier way of living. Mm. It is because you, because as found the responses to work hard, as we talked about earlier, which actually gets drives you deeper and deeper and isolates you further and further. Sounds like a weird example, but one of the things I've noticed since having a young child, so Arctic, my son is coming up to two years old, I've also got a miniature dachshund. Walking around the streets with a miniature dachshund and a baby means I see a lot of smiles. When people first see me, and that is different. Let's say when I was 30, I was working by myself. You tend to get more blank expressions because you you are seen as more threatening or like it's a thing. You are you are not threat. You are you are just serious. Like walking around with a small dog and a small baby, you are a source of joy. 
and therefore you see your first thing you see is smiles and therefore you I respond to you differently because if I see them smiling at me all the, well not responding at me they're smiling at Artie and Dexy but I think that's quite like how we as a founder when we're in defensive mode it's kind of we trigger a reaction just by being how we are and therefore we it starts again reinforces it oh they're they're judging me or they're they don't think I'm right or and actually that's that's not what's going that's pure projection absolutely we get so caught up in capabilities level that actually we become fairly unapproachable in terms of values and who we are and the identity because we're sort of not approachable and I, yeah that's a good point I should have carried a little puppy around with me and made it smile you know in terms of that <laughs> should have done that more you're right but it is very true because it's a warmer picture and I think maybe when we have that network, it's our equivalent in the office when you're sort of laughing with people by uh, the coffee mm-hmm. machine and you're approachable. It's a bit like going around the dash and the child. It's, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's the warmth, it's the connection, it's the bridge. And that's what everyone's looking for, especially in today's age where people are deciding where they work, whether they're linking in. You know, they're looking towards the founder. You know, do, do, do you think I could ask you a question? You know, is, are you that person? I think, I think the great thing about this story, Julian, thank you for sharing, is that a lot of times fans we think that going faster is, is the answer. But really what, what this story shows is this, this epiphany of when you couldn't have gone any faster, actually taking that step back and creating the space for your team, going slower, being very purposeful. Actually, that was what led to the breakthrough on performance. And so it's not a, it's not a, go faster to achieve more it is actually like go slower and do less sometimes to achieve more i think it's exactly that and and it was the time Mm. of it you know when you're at the beginning as i said you have to sometimes hold on tight because you are literally driving but at this one point what time is it to let go reposition and as you say do less And, and and to be once you start riding off your purpose and leading towards that in a way, you're doing less, especially speed-wise. We had to stop, start, and literally, actually, I don't know if anyone knew that we closed every single store for two days. Uh, look at me still feeling guilty after 20 years. Uh, so this, uh, but we did. So, you know, you know, what's that? That whole commitment and, and that honesty with each other about what we've joined, what it means, and... and and people are looking to put their values into something that they believe. And I think that's what we did over that six-month period that made all that made that incredible difference. Well, Julie, thank you so much for, for sharing the story. Um, it sounds like very cathartic to find to find out one that you've shut the stores for two days. Um, but re- really appreciate your, your honesty and authenticity today. Thank you today. very, very much for having me, James. And um, hopefully we'll stay in touch. As you heard today, coaching opens up a whole range of insights and areas to explore. If you have a potential moment to revisit on the podcast, or just want to learn more about coaching, book in for a 30-minute chat with me at peer-effect.com.